Good morning, New City Church. It is good to be with you here this morning. My name's AJ. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. And so uh, happy Thanksgiving. I hope it was a good one. I hope you ate lots of good food and got time with friends and family. Uh, if this is your first time, I want to say welcome. I am so excited that you're with us this Sunday morning and we get to open up God's Word together. We're uh, ending our series in Judges today. We're going to be looking at Judges 19, 20, and 21. And um, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about it, to be honest. In some ways, I'm a little sad because, you know, man, we've seen God just move mightily through this series. Man, people called into leadership, people growing in their faith, and I know he's going to continue to do that, and so I trust him in that, and so, uh, so I'm sad on that front, but I'm also kind of happy because Judges is wild, y'all, uh, and it is just a mess, and we're going to see the, man, the mess of the mess today and uh, in that, and so I'm like really excited that we get to go to Christmas next week, okay? It's here, it's, it's uh, Christmas season, it's official, there's no shame about having your tree up now, uh, all that, it's here, we're good to go, and so next week we get to jump to the book of Luke uh, and start our new series, The Christmas Spirit, Angels, Prophecies, and the Spirit of God, and so I'm excited for that, uh, man, it's going to be a sweet time as we walk through that together, as we watch Judges unravel today, we're going to see uh, God put it back together next week, but I do promise there will still be hope today, there's still going to be some good stuff as well, but uh, as I was telling a buddy of mine what I was preaching on today, uh, Judges 19, 20, and 21, he shared uh, this quote with me that I thought was fitting. He said, there's a good chance that if you, even if you've been in church your entire life, you've never heard somebody so foolish as try to preach ju on Judges 19. We're doing that today. All right. No, John Calvin never preached on it. Charles Spurgeon never preached on it. Martin Lloyd-Jones never preached on it. John Piper hasn't preached on it yet. There aren't many who have. So today, I am that guy. And I just want to say, and I've talked with him about this, and I just want to say thank you to our pastor, our lovely pastor, and I truly mean that. As we set the preaching calendar, Judges 19, 20, and 21 fell to me. So thank you. I appreciate that uh, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, but in all seriousness, we are a church that believes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 that says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And y'all, we believe that here at New City Church. We believe that this Bible is the word of God. And so we are going to preach the entire Bible. We are. We're going to not just preach the passages that make us feel good or that are easy to talk about. We're going to preach Judges 19. We're going to get after it today, and it's going to be a story, let me tell you. But we're, we're, we're going to dive in to one of the most repulsive stories in all of Scripture. It, it's going to be hard. It's going to leave pits in our stomach. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that Judges does not have a happy ending. It does not. Um, and so we're going to look at this and we're going to see outright rebellion and tragedy and just tragic stories time and time again. It's actually a, a mark of great shame in Israel's history. Um, and so in that, I want to say that it's just in Judges 19 that we see that, but we live in a broken world with broken people. And so I know that in this, we still have tragedy. We still have trauma. We still have abuse. And so I want to go ahead and give like a content warning. You don't hear this much with sermons, but I need to give a content warning because it's just going to be heavy for about 10 to 15 minutes. We're going to dive here in just a second, and it's just going to be a lot. 
We're going to talk about abuse. Uh, we're going to talk about trauma and other things. And so uh, if you desire to place your kids in our wonderful kids ministry, all right, it is there for you. But I uh, just want to let you know, and I'll give you a few other warnings as we go along as well. But we're going to see Israel kind of in the pit of it. We're going to see them in despair and wrestling through all this. We're going to see them just struggling and rebelling against God. And, and maybe you're in that season of you're wrestling with God, or maybe you're just entangled in some sin. And everything just feels like a mess right now. And you're trying to figure out what do I do? Do I just like ride this out and try to do it on my own? Man, am I, are you trying to figure out what's true in a world which, where truth just kind of seems like it's on a sliding scale? And everybody kind of creates their own truth. Like, how should we be thinking of truth? And so our story today, I mentioned, isn't going to provide much hope. But what it does, and not ending uh, the way, like, we kind of with a happy ending, is it makes us look for hope. And so that's what we desire and we're going to do today as we look at Judges 19 through 21. We're going to see what happens when people do what's right in their own eyes. And we're going to see that that hope isn't found in our own selves or our own solutions. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to look at the story in Scripture, and then we're going to like pull out of that, and we're going to see three takeaways kind of out of our story today. And so we'll have three scenes, three takeaways with that. But before we dive in, I, I, just, I would like to pray for our time together as we open up God's Word. God, as we open up your Word and see what you've given us in these chapters God, let us just see you more clearly. Let us be drawn to desire you even in the sorrow and pain that unfolds. God, I pray that you would speak through me and that I would just fade away. God, and that I would make much of you and you would speak to your people today. It's in you, Jesus, that I do trust. And so we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. And so a little context, uh, Judges 19, 20, and 21 is kind of the uh, second appendices of the end of Judges. Uh, we don't, uh, it's a story set by itself. We don't have the exact time of when this happens, but, uh, but we see from a literary standpoint, the book of Judges, this is at the very end because this is like the complete unraveling. This is what we see. We're going to see a mess today in our uh, passage. And so like I said, we have three kind of scenes. And so the first scene that we're going to look at today is called the, um, I'm calling it the Wayward Levite. And so we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And so we enter... Scene one, seeing that there is no king, no ruler, there's no, nobody directing God's people. And we see a Levite, a different one from uh, last week's uh, chapters. And so this is a different Levite, but he's just kind of out doing his own thing. Uh, and he takes a wife or a concubine, depending on your translation. But what we know is that this isn't allowed by Levitical standards. But remember, we're in the book of Judges. It's you do what's right in your own eyes. And so he said, this works for me, and so let's do it. So we see, as we continue in our story, that uh, the wife or concubine's unfaithful to him. She goes back to her father in Bethlehem. He waits four months for some reason uh, to go after her, but he does go after her. Uh, and so what we see is when he gets to his father-in-law's house, his father-in-law is like super hospitable. And he's like over-the-top hospitable. And so for three days and then day four, he's like, all right, it's time to go. But he's like, I got extra turkey and stuffing and potatoes. And so they eat and eat. And so it gets too late and he can't leave. 
Okay, and so he's like, day five gets here, and he's like, well, we got a little bit more. You can have a turkey sandwich, stuffing sandwich, all that kind of stuff. And so he gets to about halfway through the day. It gets late in the day, but he still is like, I'm out. I'm gone. Like, we're, we're out of here. So his concubine's with him. And so in this, they travel to a, trying to find a nice place for the night. And so they pass over, you'll see the uh, place called Jebus, which is Jerusalem, but it's a city of foreigners. They're like, we're not going to go hang out with people that aren't God's people. We're going to go hang out with God's people. And they wind up uh, finding that. And let's look in verse 14. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. All right. And so they're in the square. It, it's almost dark, and nobody's brought him in. Uh, that's where you would think God's people would be hospitable to him. They're not. But a sojourner comes along, uh, takes him in. All right. So this is, this is a point where this is just a story we're trying to figure it out. This is when it's going to take a dark turn. And it, it's just going to, I'm going to go ahead and just let you know, it's going to like leave a pit in your stomach. Like, this is not going to be, like, easy. And so I just want to go ahead and, like, share that while also letting you know we're not going to stay there all morning. We are going to move past it. We are going to be able to move to hope. But we got to, like, wait. We got to go into this and see what God's Word says. And I promise, though, that there will be hope on the other side. But it takes a dark turn in verse 22 where it says, As they were making their hearts merry, Behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man, meaning the Levite, who came into your house that we may know him. And what, what this is saying is meaning that they wanted to have sex with him. They wanted the, uh, the old man to give him the, the Levite so that they could have sex with him, essentially rape him, this group of men. And so... The old man, he, he pleads with the people of Gibeah. He's saying, don't do this vile thing. He's trying to, like, reason with them, trying to, like, make an uh, argument. So he said, actually, you can have my virgin daughter in this concubine and do what's right to you. Do what seems good to do. And you're like, what? Like, our story is, like, turning into a spot where you're like, what, what is going on here? And you may be like, man, this sounds familiar. It, it's, it's like, because it mirrors almost uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family in Genesis 19. And what we begin to see is it, and what we will see is that both have a tragic end. And so, but we're, we're sitting here and we're, we're going like, what is going on? And so, but we're going to pick up in verse 25 where it says, but the men would not listen to him. So the man, meaning the Levite, seized his concubine and made her go out to them. You know, th this is when it, it just, it, it continues to turn. Because what he's essentially saying is he goes, here, rape her instead of me. And, and, and scripture shows us that that's what they did until morning. Until dawn, when they were through and she was able to crawl back to the front door. And, and we pick up our story in verse 27. And it says, and her master, meaning the Levite, rose up in the morning. And when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, meaning he just wanted to get back to his place. He, he wasn't trying to go after her. Behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house. 
with her hands on the threshold, the door. And he said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey and the man rose up and went away to his home. And and this is going to get graphic, but this is what it says in verse 29. And when he entered his house, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. Y'all, that is, that's, that's scene one. And to recap, we see a selfish Levite who takes his wife and concubine and, and throws her out to experience the horrors of uh, the night, these Gibeahs, uh, the men of Gibeah's sexual appetite just to appease them and so they wouldn't come after him. And when all that happened and um, he takes her and brings her home and chops her up and sends her across Israel uh, to sound the alarm that something tragic has happened. And, and we, we affirm something tragic has just happened. And y'all, I know we've got two more scenes to go, but I just have to pause and go, oh, man. Every time I, I've like read this and Pastor Eric was gracious and said, hey, this, this is your, this is like the passage we're going to do on this day and uh, I'm on the schedule. And uh, he said, man, I, I want you to like sit in this and like wrestle through this because this is, this is hard. And I'm so thankful for that, but I'm also on the other side, like, I don't want to be in this. I don't, no, like, I'm good. Like, this is uncomfortable. This is wretched. And it leaves me wondering, like, how do we get here? I mean, this is depravity exposed. I mean, this is among God's own people. There's no outside people. This is God's people, depravity exposed. And in a moment like this, I'm like, God, are you there? God, what is happening? And as I've sat in this and and thought through this, I I, I began to think, like, I, I really do hope that that's our response. That we just cry out to the one who's over all and just like, God, I don't understand what is happening. It is unraveling. Things are ripping apart at the seams. And I really do pray that we never find ourselves in any situation remotely close to this. But I also know that like things happen. Abuse and trauma and just pits of despair and all these different things. We can find ourselves in a tragic situation when all hope seems lost and we wonder how we got there, and I pray that our response is just to cry out to the Lord. As, he, as we read earlier, Hebrews 4, the, uh, that we, he welcomes us to the throne of grace to find help, to receive mercy in our time of need. And, and we see that, and he welcomes us in that, and in that he calls us just to bring it all and lay it before him. And I can't say that we're going to get the answers that we want or, or figure it all out. But we'll know that he's with us. And we can walk in that. And we walk with that knowing that we have a heavenly father who loves us and does not abandon us. And so we're going to move on to our next two scenes. And I'm, I'm going to move quickly through these. Uh, and I'm going to recap as we go just to uh, c- continue to keep us moving here. But remember, our Levite has, has sent body parts to everyone. And uh, Israel's responds by coming to Mizpah with 400,000 men of the sword, men with swords. They're like ready to go. They're like a grave tragedy has happened. We need to figure this out. And we're like, yeah, it has. Like, it, it is bad. And so in this, though, they all gather together except the tribe of Benjamin, which was where Gibeah was, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. And they come in verse 3 of chapter 20. I'm sorry. The second point was Israel's reaction. I don't know if I said that or not. 
It's in my notes, but I just jumped right over it. So our second scene is Israel's reaction. And so all this is happening, Israel's reaction. They gather together, and so they come to the Levite who sent, you know, uh, the body parts around, and they, in verse 3, they said, tell us, how did this evil happen? And so if you keep reading in Judges 20, you see the Levite spin a story that paints himself as the victim. He's the victim here in all of this. He was the one, though, that like pushed his concubine out to experience the horrors of the night, but somehow he became the victim in all of this. And so through his story, these 400,000 soldiers, all of Israel becomes one uh, and are ready to go get these worthless fellows. And so they go to the tribe of Benjamin because they didn't show up, and they said, hey, give us these guys. Give us the guys that did this. And so, because Gibeah was a part of Benjamin. And so what we begin seeing, is, remember, this is all God's people. And verse 13 tells us, but the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Man. And so they're essentially saying, we're good. We're going to like close ranks. We're going to do our thing. We're, we're not, we're going to uh, protect these men. And so in that, they're like, we're not going to hand them over. Instead, we're going to raise up 26,000 soldiers and we're going to go to battle. And so a civil war breaks out. And so for the first two days of battle, what we see is the Benjaminites actually are winning. They've killed 40,000 Israelites all, right, all over what's happening here. And so at the end of the battle on day two, what we begin in verse 26 is see, it says all the people of Israel, the whole army went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Because at this point, like, they're getting routed and they're like, man, maybe we might need to go, like, seek the Lord. They kind of sought him, like, but they, not really in the first two days. And so now they're like, well, we need to, like, seek the Lord. Like, what, what do you want us to do? And they ask him in verse 28, shall we go out once more to battle against the brothers, the people of Benjamin? Or shall we cease? And the Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. And Scripture is clear. The Lord provides the victory. God is the victor in this. He provides that victory over the tribe of Benjamin. But then Israel's reaction is just way out of overblown because what we see in verse 48 is the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, the men, beast, and all that they found. And all the towns they found, they set on fire. It just like, it continues to be this like pit and this like, and I promise we're going to get to hope. I promise we're going there. But we got to wade through this story. And we just see that all that was left of the tribe of Benjamin was 20, or sorry, 600 men who fled during the battle. And so that's kind of the end of scene two where Israel's outraged that something happened. Uh, they go try to get these men. They're like, no, nah, you can't have them. Civil war breaks out. And then, but the Lord provides victory for Israel. But now what we see is Israel's reaction puts them in a pickle. And this is our final scene for today, Israel's wild solution. Because in this final scene, we see that Israel is going to come up with solutions, that problems that they actually cause. Because what we actually see is when they gathered at Mizpah, to figure out what's going on with the body parts and the tribe of Benjamin doesn't show up. This vow was made. We see it in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamin. They're like, hey, if they're not going to show up, they're not going to do that, they can't have our daughters in marriage. They're like, okay, all right, well, maybe. But, but now they're in a pickle 
Because now they have a tribe with only men. Extinction's on the horizon. And they begin to weep because they don't want a tribe of Israel to go extinct. And so what do they do in verse 3 is they said to the Lord, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel? That today there should be one tribe lacking. And so now they're like changing course and now they're blaming God. Like, God, why have you let this happen? Why is a tribe going to go extinct? What is happening, Lord? They're like, what do we do now? And so Scripture tells us that they slept on it. Like they're upset. They, they went to sleep and they slept on it. And then they remembered. They made a great oath saying anyone who doesn't show up to this meeting in Mizpah after receiving the body parts, this is what the great oath was. He shall surely be put to death. I mean, we're in the book of Judges, so it seems legit, right? You don't, you don't show up to this meeting, you die. I mean, that's, that's where we're at in Judges at this point. And so what we see, one vow, a problem that the vow caused, the great oath brings about the solution. And so they say, well, let's go kill those people that didn't show up and take their virgins. And so that's what they do. They get 12,000 men, go to Jabesh Gilead, wipe them out, their own people, mind you, and they take 400 virgins from them. Now, mass, a real thing, so you got 400, you still need 200 more. And so they're like, well, how do we get 200 more for these men? And so they come up with another plan, and we see in verse 20 and 22 of chapter 21. And so they tell this to the 200 men of Benjamin that don't have wives yet. They say, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man, his wife, from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. Y'all, I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is the people of God, and this is where we've come to. Because the plan is essentially wait till these women of Shiloh come out and dance in the vineyards, and then you men of Benjamin, you go take yourself a wife, you kidnap her, and then you just go back home. And they're like, if the, uh, the parents of these kids come to us, we'll say, well, you didn't break the vow. And like, can't we be gracious? They didn't have any wives. And you're like, what? Like, this is okay? Like, we're okay with this? Because this is how Judges ends. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Y'all, that's how the book of Judges ends. There is no happy ending. We, we end the book of Judges with something that makes us uncomfortable, to say the least, and just like sick to our stomachs, more than likely. Like you read something like this, and, and, and we're, and we're going to move out of that now. We're going to like start to move out of that, but we can't move too fast because this is just the reality of the Scripture paints for us because I think what we really begin to lean into in this is we're accustomed to thinking this story is going to turn and there's going to be goodness in it. Like where's the hope? Like are they going to just turn the corner? Are they going to try harder and longer and everything's going to be better? Like we want to see them move out of the pit of despair and grief and rebellion and all this. And the sun just comes out like the sun will come out tomorrow. It's going to be okay. But what we just see in Scripture is a different story. We see time and time again, God is giving them opportunities to turn to him, to follow him, to say, hey, I'm here. 
And it, because it would just seem that, like, in this type of story, God's like, all right, I got to move on. Like, we got to, I got to bounce. But he doesn't. He doesn't abandon his people, and he provides opportunity after opportunity for his people to follow him. And at best, we see in the book of Judges that they stumble through that. And at worst, we see the rebellion that in Judges 19, 20, and 21. And so we get to the point where it's like, man, this is rock bottom. But I love the fact even in this, God is there. He's there. He hasn't abandoned his people. He doesn't abandon us when we've hit rock bottom, when we're in the lowest moments of our life. He is there. We cannot outrun, hear this, we cannot outrun God's love for us. We cannot do anything that will disqualify us from receiving that love. And so as we go through the book of Judges, we, we've seen this kind of common theme, and it's going to be our main idea for today. Just that we need a true Savior. We need a true Savior, and God provides that to us because God is so good that He first loved us. Even when we weren't pursuing Him, He has pursued us. He has loved us and pursued us while we were in our mess, while we were running away from Him. He's the one who came after us. And so as we wrap up our time in Judges and with these chapters, I have three things kind of for us to see. And so it's going to get progressively better, okay? So I know we've like said in this and we've got the pit, but we're going to progressively move to hope. And I'm going to go ahead and just share it with you. We're getting to Jesus. We're going to get there and we're going to celebrate how good he is. But before we get there, we, the first thing that we see out of our passage is that when God is forgotten, the weak are abused. And it's just kind of just, it just comes to the forefront in this passage. We see how the Levite treats his wife slash concubine. We see how they treat the people who don't show up to a meeting. We continually look and see that they're doing things that are right in their own eyes. This is good for me, and so I will do it. And so what that leads to is the strong oppressing the weak. I mean, no one's concerned about the kidnapping of these women. It's just like, okay, let's do this. No one's concerned over wiping out a place that didn't show up to her meeting. No one's questioning the Levite who had a concubine, which wasn't allowed. And then we're not questioning his story about why did all this happen? Like, you didn't try to stop it? Like, what is going on in this story? And so we realize that when God is removed from the equation, the strong will inevitably oppress the weak. And the weak in this story, and that we see a lot in Scripture, is the uh, the... The people that are weak in this story is the women of Israel. They're oppressed. And we, we have to just like take a moment and just realize that even if it seems, and I don't, there's no condoning what happens in these stories, but even if it seems right to the people at the time, it doesn't make it right. They hold the image of God. Injustice and oppression are never meant to be so in the eyes of the Lord. Even if, the, even if in human eyes they're doing what that right is in their own eyes. And so as we look at our story today, we, we got to ask the question, who are the oppressed and those in need among us? Like who are we going to care for? Who are we as the church going to stand in the gap for? And so here at New City, we've kind of identified five uh, groups of people that are likely to be oppressed and in need and so that's the poor the orphan the widow the unwed mother or the refugee so it's kind of power is our acronym and so in that we want to be somebody who steps in the gap for people who bear God's image 
And we want to love and care for them and come alongside them consistently. And so that's why during Serve Week, our partners that we partner with are standing in the gap day after day for these people. And so we want to be a church that helps and also stands in that gap for those who are often overlooked and oppressed. And I know that God's like, he's just not like shining brightly in this text. He's there though. He's not shining brightly in it. The people aren't following him, but I want to just assure you that he's weaving a story of redemption. God is patient, even if at times his patience looks like absence or it looks like he's forgotten. Because he he hasn't. And I love that we have all of scripture to remind us of this, that he is, patience is but one aspect of his character. We also see that he's one who cares for the needy. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a refuge to those who trust in him. And what we get to see even more fully is when Jesus came, he embodied all of this. He is God. He is fully God and fully man. And he shows us that we are to care for those in need among us. And we do it in his name because of what he has done for us. He has first loved us so that now we can go and love others in the way that he has loved us. So we get to go care for those who need help. We get to find ways to show the love of Christ to those around him. And so as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, I pray that we look and see what the Lord sees and that's hurting and broken people. And we have the healing balm and the gospel to come alongside them in that. And so you're like, well, what do I do? I said, well, one thing you can do is sign up for Serve Week. Come alongside these people and get to know them and offer care and need on this. And maybe it will continue. That's our hope and prayer in providing these opportunities. Maybe it's reaching out to that friend that's just struggling. Who's maybe his life is a mess right now. Maybe, you know. I always found that ice cream works wonders. But in that, I also know a hot meal, an encouraging word, a listening ear. It's something that we can do. or Maybe it's simply walking across the room to that person who just looks alone and unsure of where they're at, and so we can go along and show them the love of Christ. Because what we want to do as the church is we want to be like Christ who came to seek and save the lost, the wandering, those with no way to him. And the reality of it is, the lost, the wandering, those who had no way to him, was really all of us. None of us were able to get there, on our, get there, get to God on our own. And that's our second point for today, is we can't save ourselves. Because we continue to see in this story people time and time again trying to come up with solutions to problems before them, and they just fail. The Levite solution to the angry mob that was wanting to rape him was just give him the concubine. He says, well, that didn't go exactly how I wanted to. And so now he's like, I'm going to chop her up and send her all over Israel, which is like mind-blowing. And I'm like, this cannot be right. And so Israel's solution to seek justice is like, yes, let's seek justice. But then it just goes way overboard, and they about wipe out a tribe uh, of Israel And so it's one thing after another after another. And it's all these broken people coming out with broken solutions. And it's all at this level, but they're not looking at the bigger level of it all. The greater problem is this spiritual problem, and it's called sin. It's in the heart of people that are rebelling against God. And we see them doing time and time again what is right in their own eyes. It all just seemed to be okay. And that's what's like baffling at times. But scripture tells us that no one's righteous, 
like nobody is. Nobody's seeking to do ultimate good on their own. And so a life without God is brought to a horrible display in Judges 19, 20, and 21. With rebellion at the core, sin and rebellion uh, are at the core of what is happening. Saying their way is better than God's way. Because it just, everything just seems reasonable to them. Like this is the next step for them. And I think, I loved how Tim Keller put it, that this is a great warning to us as the church. Because remember, this is the people of God. And it's a great warning that what can seem reasonable doesn't align with what is actually true. We can really struggle in a world that gets to define what truth is. I get to define what my truth is, and you get to define what your truth is. And so truth is this like sliding scale, which isn't so. What's true is true. I heard uh, Pastor Brian Loritz say it this way, and I appreciated it. Uh, is he goes, it's a, you're driving down the road, it's a 45, and you're going 75. A cop pulls you over, and he goes to write you a ticket. And you're like, excuse me, officer, I'd like to share with you my truth. It's 75. Speed limit is 75. He goes, no, it's not. Speed limit's 45. We're like, no, but this is my truth. And you're like, it, it, like, see, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I think it's a scary thing when we begin to define our own truth. We get to do what's right in our own eyes. If the speed limit is 45, you don't go over 45. Amen? Amen. Just like that. Clear cut. But in that, you, we can't be defining what's right in our own eyes. And so I'm not here to take a stance on all, like, the hot-button issues today. All right, I'm not here to do that, but what I'm saying is we as a church have to be careful to not just do what is reasonable, what seems to just fit for us, but instead we need to search out real truth, not just my truth. And thankfully, I love this, that Jesus actually told us where truth is found because he said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the way, the only way. There's no other way to get to God except through Christ, by believing and trusting in him. And then he goes, I am the way, and then I am the truth. He's not, I'm not one of many truths. I am the truth. This is where truth is found. And we can rest in that. We can rest in him. And we're, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when we trust in him, we have life forevermore. Because the reality is we're broken people coming up with broken solutions to what is around us. And I just keep thinking that maybe, maybe I'll get it figured out. But I just won't. I continue to mess it up. I look at Israel and they had God. They had the promised land. They had all the things that you're supposed to have and make it work. And still they rebelled and said, I think I know what's best. And when they did what they thought was best, we get Judges 19, 20, and 21. Man, I do not want that. Because I, we can see it time and time again that our desire, James 1 tells us that uh, the root of all sin, or the way that we begin to look at this is it just never gets there quick. Like It's not like you're here today, Judges 19 tomorrow. But what, I, what we know to be true is in James 1 tells us 
that the first step to all this is desire. It's not necessarily desiring something bad, but it is this desire that builds and builds to the point where you're like, I know better than God. It's so I'm going to rebel to get that desire. And when we do that, when we go in and we sin and rebel against God, that's eventually going to lead to death. Because it's become ultimate to us and we're going to do anything to get it. Man, if we love and our desire is money and we're going to do anything to make as much money as we can, we're going to ruin our relationships because they're not necessary for me to make more money. If I want to be the best at something, the best there is, I'm going to step on each and every person that I have to. And so we're going to eventually wind up being isolated. But maybe we're on the flip side and you're like, I'm just a people pleaser and I want to please everybody. And you're like, well, at the end of the day, you're going to be worn out and you're going to be jaded. And I know that because I'm a people pleaser myself. And so eventually it's just going to run out. And so we find ourselves time and time again coming up empty. And we're like, what is true? How I cannot save myself. So that leads us to our third and final point for today. Man, we just need a true Savior. And I find that to be a sweet, like, truth that comes out of a wretched story. Judges ends in despair. And I'm so thankful that our story doesn't end in judges. I love, my old pastor says it this way. He says that hope is found if you just flip the page. I don't know how that works on a smartphone, but uh, a physical Bible, you're in judges, you flip the page. And you get to the book of Ruth. It's written in parallel with judges, and ironically enough, Ruth is a foreigner. She's a woman uh, who gets to the lowest point. She's the lowest there is. And in that... She has incredible faith in God, unlike the people in our story today. And as Judges ends in despair, Ruth ends this way in chapter 4 of Ruth, verse 21. It says, Boaz with Ruth fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the same David that will become a king. They would write hymns and spiritual songs and we would see that he would have a son who would have a son who would have a son that would eventually lead to Joseph and Mary having a son named Emmanuel, God with us. They would have Jesus. And y'all, God is working and weaving this story even when all hope seems lost. And so God doesn't send a Savior that people think he's going to send. But what we do see is Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yo, I love how we're going to be looking at Christmas over the next few weeks, and we get to see the unraveling here, and God says, I'm eventually going to fix this by sending my own son. He says, man, these, man cannot fix this. I have to fix this, and so I'm going to send my son, Jesus, instead. And so Jesus comes and he's fully God and he's fully man. He's God incarnate. And what we get to see is he leaves his throne to come and live the life we were supposed to live. And living that, he lives the perfect obedience. He shows us how to commune and fellowship with the Father. He comes when no one's seeking after him. And in doing so, he dies the death that we deserved. Because as we looked at in Judges 19, 20, and 21, we get to see one of the most repulsive stories in all of Scripture. But what really is the darkest and most gruesome in all of Scripture is found in the Gospels, the crucifixion of Jesus. 
physically, they say that uh, the way the Romans did it was meant to, when you looked upon it, you would never want to rebel, for it was so gruesome. The prophet Isaiah says that he was unrecognizable, Jesus was. But we also see that it wasn't just the physical, it was also the emotional of being abandoned by all your people. And then even more so, the spiritual of it was he endured the wrath of God. And we just, we look at that and we go, man, what? But in that, we get to see the cross, but we also see the empty tomb. And we get to see that God is a resurrecting God. We get to see that he takes things from death and despair to hope and to joy. And the gospel says that whatever we have, we can come lay it before him. He says he welcomes us with open arms. And he says, when you're looking and you're searching for the rock that you can build your life on, he says, I've given to it to you. Like Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. Jesus is actually the one that saves us from ourselves. I look back and I really thank God that he saved me at an early age. I look back at sixth grade AJ, and he was a cute kid. But I look back and I just see pride and arrogance and entitlement. And it wasn't fully blossomed yet. I get that. But I'm just thankful that he saved me from myself. But I even know today what I have in my heart. And I know the thoughts that I have. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. It's one of those moments where you're like, God, I could, I'm so thankful you didn't let me do what was right in my own eyes, but instead you saw fit to save a sinner like me. And in that, I get to be reminded daily, many times a day, my need for saving. Like, God, you are the one who saves. You are the one who redeems and rescues and re restores. And so I get to come back. You get to go to the grace that sought us when we weren't seeking him. You get to go to the one who shows us grace and says, bring it all to me. Bring it all. And I have the Jesus holds the grace that washes away every sin, every sin stain, and draws us close. Because it's our, in our realizing a need for a Savior that we truly are actually free. We get to actually follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't have to serve a false king. We get to follow the true king. Because we, if we realize that we need a true Savior, we can follow the true king. And so my takeaway, and I hope you take this away, is that I want you to look to the one who can save, the one who transforms and rescues and redeems. That's Jesus. We look to him and believe in him and trust in him. And so let us look today to Jesus. Let us look forevermore to Jesus and worship him. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. God, I love that we get to worship you, that we just get to know you. In our sin and rebellion, you came after us. And I say thank you. Thank you that how good you are to us. God, we, we don't deserve it, but you loved us and sent your son for us. And so in that, God, let us just trust in you. Let us worship you. So in your name we pray. Amen.